Well, all right, everybody, are you ready to get into the back half of the book of Daniel? Yeah. Um, hey, if you're just joining us, we've been in this series through the book of Daniel, uh, which uh, it's made up of two parts. The first six chapters tell the story of Daniel and his friends uh, and their life in exile in the land of Babylon 2,500 years ago. And um, this is the part of the book where you get all the Sunday school stories from. So if you have a background in church, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and the Chocolate Bunny, that's in the first six chapters. Uh, Daniel and the lion's den, that's in the first six chapters. These are well-worn, beloved chapters in our Bible that preachers love to preach. Um, but then what tends to happen is you get to the end of chapter six, and most preachers hit the eject button and move on. And today, you might see why. Um, because in the back half of the book, we move from narrative um, to visions and dreams that Daniel had while living in the land of Babylon. And um, I'll just be honest with you, it's, this part of the book gets weird. Uh, we're going to read, just today, we're going to read about a winged lion, uh, a leopard with four heads, uh, a talking horn. It's the kind of stuff that's going to make you wonder if Daniel needs a drug test. Um, or maybe if I need a drug test for, for going there, for not hitting the eject button. Um, but I'll tell you on the front end why I want to take us here. Um, a couple of reasons, really. Um, number one, uh, we believe uh, that this book has been inspired by God and is useful for teaching us about life with Jesus. Amen? Amen. And so here's what that means. Um, it, it, I'm thinking like, man, if you're new, what a, what a first week for you. Um, but if you're thinking like, I can't believe I came on the winged lion week. Like this is the week I tried church out. Here's what I would just say to you. Um, you can expect God to meet you here this morning. Um, you can expect God to speak to you, to reveal himself to you, to show you Jesus and the life that he has for you. Because this is what God loves to do when we open the book that he wrote. This is how God loves to meet us. And so you can expect that this morning just as much as uh, any other week. Uh, that's true of this part of the Bible, even the weird parts of the Bible. It's all inspired. It's all full of good news. It's all full of life. And it's all meant to teach us about Jesus. And so that's reason number one. That's enough for me. Um, but if you're still not convinced, if you're like, well, if that's true, um, could we just go to the less weird parts of the Bible to learn about Jesus? Uh, here's what I would say to that. We could, but then I think we'd be missing something. Um, perhaps we'd be missing something quite important. Um, like, like, let me ask you this. If you had to describe your attitude towards uh, the future... Um, would you describe yourself as more pessimistic or optimistic? Um, I'm not going to ask you to answer that one in the room right now, but just think about this. Um, are you someone that, as you think about the future, you find a lot of um, frustration and anxiety uh, welling up in you as you think about the state of our world today? Um, are you the kind of person that um, you find yourself often talking about how we're ruining the world for our children? Um, or are you the kind of person who, while concerned about the future, you have a sense of optimism that, hey, our best days might still be ahead. It looks like things are on the rise. It looks like we're on the upswing here. Um, back in October, Gallup released a poll that revealed for the first time a majority of Americans believe um, that youth today will have a worse quality of life than their parents. Um, the, everyone freaked out when this poll came out because for as long as they've been tracking this, there's been this sense of optimism that most people would say, I'm optimistic. I think the future's bright. I think better days are ahead. And now a majority of us are starting to go, yeah, I don't think so. I, I don't think so. And so um, if you, 
in your heart of hearts, if you're just being honest, if your outlook towards the future is more pessimistic than optimistic, um, I'd say a couple of things. Um, number one, you're not alone. You're actually in the majority. Um, but I would also say, I think you would do well to spend time in the weird parts of Scripture. Um, because um, what the apocalyptic sections of Scripture, like Dan the back half of Daniel, the book of Revelation, what these sections of Scripture are here to do is they are God pulling back the veil and showing us the future and where things are headed so that we can live with hope in the present. When it looks like there's no hope on the horizon, God's going to pull back the veil, show us way out there so that we could have a sense of hope in the present. In apocalyptic literature, it's always written uh, during a time of great trauma. And so um, the people of God are in exile in Babylon. They're in captivity, and we get apocalyptic literature. This is something God has inspired through the scriptures at traumatic points where maybe a majority of the Jewish people would have said, hey, we don't have a lot of optimism about the future. We think that past generations had it better. This is when God rises up and gives us apocalyptic sections of scripture to say, you might not see hope on the horizon, but if you have a long view to history, there's a lot of hope to be had in the person and work of Jesus. And so that's what these sections of scripture, as wild as they are, that's what they're here to do. And I don't know about you, but I look at that and I go, I think we could use a little bit more hope in our world today. Anyone else with me on that one? All right. Then in to Daniel chapter 7 we go. Let's dive in. It's going to be wild. It's going to be fun. I think it's going to be good. Uh, we'll see. <laughs> Daniel chapter 7, we read this starting in verse 1. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions of his head as he lay in bed. Then he wrote down the dream and the sum of the matter. Um, so this right here is important to realize. Let me just stop us right there. The apocalyptic section of Daniel, it's not written after the narratives in the book of Daniel. Uh, it's written during it. Um, so we just took a time jump. If you were here last week, we just jumped back a couple of decades, back into the days of Babylon. It's not like the first six chapters and then chronologically the last six. These visions and dreams are given to Daniel while all the events of the first six chapters are going on. Um, particularly, we just learned this is the first year of Belshazzar. And so this occurs between the events of chapters 4 and 5. Um, now, does anyone recall anything significant happening in Daniel chapter 4? Nebuchadnezzar had his dream. And Daniel interprets it. And at the end of that chapter, Nebuchadnezzar seems to come to his senses and praise the living God in a way that echoes other parts of Scripture. Um, now, if you're new and you're like, what, what are you guys talking about? Okay, Nebuchadnezzar is the evil king of Babylon. That he uh, goes into Jerusalem, he burns down God's temple, he carries God's people away as slaves in exile, he treats them awfully, he ruins their life. This guy blasphemes the name of God, he thinks he is a God, he sets up a golden statue, throws people in the furnace if they won't uh, jump on in, and follow in the idolatry of his land. And in Daniel chapter 4, something incredible happens. After all of this evil Nebuchadnezzar has committed against God and his people, Nebuchadnezzar has this dream. He has this experience where he literally loses his mind. He goes out and acts like an animal for several years. God's gracious to him, restores his mind. He comes back and he praises the God of heaven. And so 
you've just got to put yourself in Daniel's shoes. Here's where we are in the story. The evil guy that's ruined your life and destroyed everything just came around and praised the name of your God. And maybe for Daniel, all of a sudden, exile in Babylon doesn't look so bad. King Nebuchadnezzar's a Christian now. Maybe there's hope for the future. Daniel chapter 4. And then he dies. I, I can only imagine how Daniel must be like, come on, Lord. I was here for decades serving that guy while he threw my friends in fiery furnaces. And he finally comes around and then he dies. And then this king who's even worse comes to power. What is happening here? I don't know if you can relate to that one bad leader after the next, but that's where Daniel's at. And it's in the midst of that that God gives him this dream. And so I, I tell you that background so you can feel like maybe Daniel was starting to lose hope in Babylon. Maybe he was starting to give up. Maybe he was in the Gallup poll going, you know, for 30 years I thought the future would be better, but Nah, nah, with Nebuchadnezzar gone and us doing this whole cycle all over again, the future is dark. God, in the midst of that, gives him this dream. And here's what the dream is. Verse 2. Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. And four great beasts came up out of the sea, different from one another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. Then I looked, as I looked, its wings were plucked off, and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man, and the mind of a man was given to it. And behold, another beast, a second one like a bear, it was raised up on one side. It had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth, and it was told, arise, devour much flesh. After this I looked, and behold, another like a leopard with four wings of a bird on its back, and the beast had four heads, and dominion was given to it. After this, I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth. It devoured and it broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another horn, a little one, which three of the first horns before it were plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking great things. Okay, this is where the drug test comes in, right? This is apocalyptic literature. He is using symbols and signs to speak of realities. What, what, what's going on in the dream? We'll learn this in a few verses, that each of these animals symbolize a different nation that will rule over the whole world. Um, and we still do this today, right, where we use animals to symbolize nations? Um, like if I said to you what animal symbolizes America, you would say? Very good. If I were to say um, the donkey was fighting the elephant for control under the eagle, you would say what? Oh God, it's an election year already? Now, don't worry, it's not. But see, that statement would sound nuts to Daniel. Then you could say, and there was a rhino in there. It was crazy. Daniel would be like, you need a drug test. No, this is just how we do it. We're just not familiar with the nations back then. Um, God's telling Daniel about a series of nations that will rule over the world using symbolism just like we do today. Um, and the first animal he definitely would have recognized because Daniel saw this animal every day walking into work. 
Um, I've got a picture of it up on the screen here for you. Um, this is what was on the gates going into the city of Babylon. A winged lion. Um, so every day he walks into work, walks right by this thing. So when Daniel has a dream about a winged lion coming out of the sea and ruling over the earth, what do you think he's thinking about? Babylon. Yeah, he's like, I, I know the winged lion, just like you and I know the eagle, just like you and I know the other animals. He knows what this one is coming out of the sea. Um, but what might have surprised Daniel is the winged lion doesn't last forever. Um, as he sees the winged lion come out of the sea, the lion's uh, wings get clipped. And, and then it's followed by a series of three more animals. Um, animals that I think would have been a mystery to Daniel at this point. Um, but where we are in history, we have this privileged position in history where a lot of time has happened. And we can look back on these things and identify which nations this is referring to. So Daniel writes this during the, the peak of Babylonian power. The winged lion, that's where it's at. The winged lion rules the world. But then God says, yeah, it's not going to last forever. Then there's going to come a lumpy bear. Uh, and this animal uh, represents the nation of Medo-Persia. Uh, we saw them in Daniel uh, 5 and 6. That's all future to Daniel at this point, past to us. Um, and the reason the bear is lumpy, it's kind of on one side, is because it's the um, it's the coming together of two nations, Medo-Persia. And um, it, it's lumpy and on one side because one nation will be stronger. And, and this is why you've not seen a lot of movies about Medo-Persia, but you've probably seen a lot of movies about the Persian Empire because they would ultimately be the ones that would take over and rule the world. So you go from Babylon to Medo-Persia. And then the next animal we get is a winged leopard. Now, now let me just ask you this. Um, how would you describe a leopard if you were trying to describe um, something unique about that animal? It's fast. Um, now, if you were to add wings to a leopard, how fast is that animal? Very fast. This is like exaggeratedly fast. That maybe if it hits a wall, it could just bounce right over it. This is a very fast animal. And, and so um, what this is, is looking back over history, it's, if, if you know your history, you know where I'm going with this. This is a prophecy about the nation of Greece um, that would be led by Alexander the Great. Um, history tells us that at the age of 33, after conquering the known world at 33, so um, if you want to just like have a, a midlife crisis for you, I'm like, what am I doing with my life? That guy conquered the world at 33 and with a speed and intensity that was unknown in history to that point. And at the age of 33, um, legend goes, he sat down and wept because there were no people to conquer anymore. This guy moved fast. And he conquered the world with another global empire that came right after the Persian. And, and, af and after that, um, he died shortly after that. And his uh, empire was given to four generals. Now, does anybody recall how many heads the winged leopard had? Four. Some of you, if you're just guessing, way to go. It is amazing to see how accurately God predicted all of these things hundreds of years before they happened, or at least decades in the case of Medo-Persia, hundreds of years in the case of Greece. It's amazing to see the accuracy and specificity. Like, I read this, I'm like, God, you're just showing off. It's almost like God knows the future before it happens, 
And so for him, it doesn't even break a sweat. This would be like me reporting to you these things, looking over a history book. God knows the future before it happens. And that's something we're going to explore next week because I think that's really meant to encourage us. Um, but, but hang on to that idea for next week. God knows the future before it happens. He can tell it to us. There's great encouragement there. Um, for today, I just want to zoom in on what Daniel would have taken away from this dream. Because Daniel didn't have any of the hindsight I just told you about. Um, all he knew is, I saw the winged lion on the way to work, so I know what that is. Um, and with the help of an angel and interpreter, he's going to learn that what this dream is saying is that kings and kingdoms will come and go, but at the end of the day, all these kingdoms are fundamentally the same. It's a lot like the dream he interpreted for Nebuchadnezzar back in chapter 2, that one empire will go to the next, to the next, to the next. It's kind of like a repeat of that dream. And so while Daniel might not know the details about what nations these are in advance, what Daniel certainly would be taking away from this point is that God is reinforcing the idea that kings and kingdoms will come and go, but at the end of the day, they're all fundamentally the same. They're all made up of flawed humans. And as such, they will each bring their own unique form of chaos into the world. Uh, the lumpy bear is going to devour much flesh. Uh, the winged leopard is going to tear through the world. They're going to do it in their own unique way. But here's the point of the vision. They're all beasts. Like these aren't pretty animals. These aren't animals you would want to have into your home as a pet. You look at these things and you're meant to be um, repelled by them. Like, eek, I would run if I saw that. That's the point God's making here. That kings and kingdoms will come and go, but the human empires of this world, at the end of the day, while they have distinct attributes and characteristics, they're all fundamentally the same. They're all beastly. And, and, and sure, some will be better than others. You might like a flying leopard better than a flying lion. You could say, hey, these guys had pros. At least the Medes and Persians, they had their laws. Babylon was ruled by a dictator. But at the end of the day, what God's saying is, they're all fundamentally the same. And while there's differences, while some might be a lesser evil, some might be better than others, none of them will be able to bring the hope and healing you're looking for. They're beasts. Think about the timing at which he tells Daniel this, when he's freaking out about a change in power. It's like God saying, Daniel, don't be too high when your guy's in office, and don't be too low when he's not. Selah. Um, I, I mean it, because I, I think um, wherever you fall on the political spectrum, I think this idea right here, that all human empires are at the end of the day beasts, that they can't provide the hope and healing that we're looking for, I think that is a truth that all of us, regardless of political ideology, I think it's a truth that we all need to reflect and meditate on and see if God doesn't want to free us from some of the anxiety and frustration we're carrying around. I think some of the reason that we walk around like dialed up to 11 ready to fight everybody is because we are putting our hope in the kings and kingdoms of this world. And I think that, man, if we could just see what God's saying here, that they're all beastly, that this is not the place to put your hope, I think there's an, a measure of freedom and healing that God wants to bring to us. And, and I believe God may have brought some of you here this morning just to hear that. But that's not the end of the vision. 
Um, that's where you don't want to put your hope. Now God's going to tell you, okay, so don't put your hope there. Here's where you can put your hope. Verse 9. As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head was pure like wool. His throne was fiery flames, its wheels were burning fire, and a stream of fire issued and came out from before him. And a thousand thousand served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were open. I looked then because of the sound of the great words the horn was speaking. And as I looked, the beast was killed and its body was destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. Um, So just think about what we've seen so far. So far we've looked at one scene on the earth where you have four different empires ruling over the earth. It's all beastly. It's all chaotic. And then what the camera does in those verses, it's like the camera zooms up to heaven. And we get a very different scene of what's going on in heaven. Um, In heaven, there's no beasts there. But there is a being. And um, Daniel calls him the Ancient of Days. Um, I love that name for God. Um, I was thinking about it this week. Um, I've recently introduced my daughters to Super Nintendo, particularly to Super Mario World. And um, they're starting to get pretty good. Like, they're actually taking to it. We've never done video games before. And so I'm like, wow, this is, you're not bad at that. You're learning. Um, But what will start to happen is as we are playing a level, um, I will say, okay, um, I'll start going the way that I know to go. And my daughters will tell me, no, Dad, I don't think you want to go that way. That's not the way out. You need to go this way. Um, which was cute the first time they said it. Um, But at some point, I'm trying to convey to them, like, no, for sure, I definitely want to go this way. Because there's secrets on Super Mario World. You know this, right? There's secrets. There's levels that you wouldn't immediately perceive. And so I'm like, I know you think you go that way, but I have spent more time playing this game than you have spent sucking oxygen on this planet. That's what God is saying to us right here. There's a lot of times where we could look at God and say, what are you doing on the earth down here? Can you believe this? And God is looking at us and saying, I've been around for a minute. All right, you are but a vapor who is gone in a moment. And so I think this is God in his kindness as a father saying, that's cute and I love you. But there are things that I understand that you do not because I'm eternal and you are finite. That's what's wrapped up in the name here. The ancient of days. You have these temporal kingdoms that come and go. And then up in heaven, the reason there's such stability there is there is an eternal being who has no beginning, who has no end. He is one who is very, very, very old. He is older than time itself. He is the center of reality. And from his throne, we begin to see a picture of the life that we can hope in, the world that we were made for. Um, So you've got the ancient of days. Um, And he's not alone. This is what's cool. There are, um, some of you will have to do the math. I think it equates to millions of supernatural beings around the throne. If you go thousands of thousands and tens of thousands and tens of thousands, uh, I got lost in the zeros there somewhere. I think what Daniel's saying is there were heavenly beings everywhere praising his name. 
So down on the earth, you have all this chaos and death and confusion and destruction. And then the camera pans up to this eternal being who is surrounded by beings who are worshiping him, saying, you are so good. You are so full of life. You are the one that we were made for. And, and, and I would submit to you that in, in this heavenly scene, we're seeing a picture of the life that we were made for. Uh, we talk a lot about page one of the Bible. If you go to page one, this is what creation looked like, where God made humans to enjoy all the good gifts in creation and to let that roll over in glad praise of him. So thanks for the dogs. Thanks for the sunrises. Thanks for all this stuff. We are meant to join in the song of the angels here. We are meant, we are made to join in the praise of the eternal one who is the very definition of stability and goodness and love and justice. And I, I know you could look at this scene. A lot gets made of the fire in this scene. Because in popular depictions of heaven and hell, um, fire is not the good place. Um, but, but in the Bible, um, fire is often uh, a depiction of God's passion and zeal for his people. So if you, if you look at the throne and you're like, there's fire all over the place. I don't think this was the camera zooming up. You, you got to get that out of your head. This is the fire there is a picture of God's zeal and passion for his people. This is how fire is used all over the Old Testament. Um, it's a picture that what you're meant to see in God sitting on his throne, the ancient of days, it's, you're meant to see God's fired up for me. He cares about me. He's not indifferent to my plight. And he's got wheels on his throne, so he's mobile. So he's not just stuck in the temple in Jerusalem that got destroyed, but he can travel to where I am. He cares about me. He's fired up for me. That's what all the fire is going on here. And what we see in this scene is that this caring God that loves us, that's fired up about his people, well, he loves us enough to rise up and to judge sin, and to restore goodness in his world. Um, just like we saw a few weeks ago in Daniel chapter 5, the Ancient of Days shows up and he pulls out books. The book of Revelation talks about these books. It says every action in human history is written in these books. So they're long books, but God's Ancient of Days. He can keep track of it. And he opens these books, and remember, we saw this in Daniel chapter 5. He finds the beast wanting and so then and there, at his very word, the beast is killed and destroyed and thrown into the fire so that it can never, ever hurt God's people ever again. That's what the caring God does. He cares enough to get involved, to rise up, and to say to the beast, okay, beast number four, you are definitely the worst, and so we're going to deal with you first. Get out of here. Get out of my world. No more killing people. No more abusing and using and hurting people. This is the ancient of days. And I would submit to you that that's why the angels praise him. Because he does love that much. Because he is that just. Because he is that good. He opens his books, and at his word, the fourth beast is killed. Now, um, this is where a lot of people want to say, okay, so then who is the fourth beast? Uh, maybe you've been wondering that. Like, okay, you talked about the first three. You conveniently stopped telling us who the fourth beast is. Um, well, here's what I would tell you. Um, this is the one that is debated. Um, the, I've done so much reading on this. How do you distill this? There are two major views on this fourth beast. Um, the first view sees this as an empire that is in our past. Future to Daniel, 
um, but passed to us. Most commonly, people would identify this beast with Rome, um, which that actually makes good sense because after Persia comes Greece, the next nation to conquer the world is Rome. Um, And Rome did it with a type of brutality that it kind of makes sense why this animal would be described in that way. Um, Rome is the empire that would kill Jesus. So I I look at this and I go, yeah, it would make sense that the Bible would be like, yeah, that fourth beast, it's really awful. Like, they don't even get an animal. They just suck. Like, I get the Rome view. Um, The other view, though, would say, no, this isn't talking about Rome. Um, This is talking about a future empire that will be led by a figure that the New Testament calls the Antichrist. Um, And and so they'll say the Antichrist is the little horn. And you learn a lot more about the Antichrist in the book of Revelation. Essentially, he is a figure who is um, filled with demonic power to do counterfeit miracles and to try to lead people astray through signs and wonders and to deny the truth about the living God, which is a lot like how the little horn acts here. And so some people want to say, no, it's not Rome. It's got to be a, a future empire. And, and I think I, I, I get the debate. Um, because you want to know if it's past or future to us. Because you kind of want to know, is this something I have to worry about? Has anyone had that thought this morning? Like, just tell me if I have to worry about the fourth empire. That's where these discussions almost inevitably go. And here, here's what I would say to that. I understand the question and the desire to know, but I think it might possibly miss the point of what this chapter is trying to do. Because what Daniel told us is after the fourth beast is destroyed, the other beasts are still given dominion for a period of time. So yeah, the super beast gets dealt with first, but there's still chaos on the earth even after that beast is gone. So even if this is Rome, it's not like, hey, human empires are going to be super kind and super cool and support love and justice. We have 2,000 years of human history that tell us no. Um, And additionally, I would just say it misses the the fact that the New Testament tells us that the spirit of Antichrist is at work in the world. That there are many Antichrists who have gone out into the world. That Satan is at work in every age to try to lead people astray and to cause as much havoc and chaos and hurt as possible during the limited time he has. So I get, the, I get the desire to know, but I kind of want to make the main thing this morning. And by the way, I have an opinion on that, but I want to make the main thing the main thing. And the main thing is, this vision is telling us that beastly empires are going to cause havoc in God's good world. But there is coming a day where he will bring an end to all of this nonsense. Um, one day, God's king, kingdom... That place of worship and love and justice and joy, one day that kingdom is going to come to the earth and deal with all the beasts once and for all. How? Uh, you got to keep reading. Verse 13. It says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days, and he was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion, it's an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. So so think about what we've seen so far. You have these four beasts on the earth causing havoc. 
And then you have this beautiful scene in heaven that we're made for. But the problem is, that's in heaven, this is on earth. How do you bring the two together? And that is where you get this son of man figure. And, and um, the phrase, uh, one like a son of man, what, what that literally means is it's one who looks like a human. So I want you to just picture this heavenly scene. Angels everywhere praising God. This is great. Earth isn't great. And then this human-looking one comes before the Ancient of Days. So he looks like a human, but he comes riding on the clouds of heaven. So he's, he's not from the earth. He just looks like a human, and he brings heaven down to earth. Now, let me ask you this question. If the four beasts are referring to four empires, who do you think the Son of Man is representing and referring to? Jesus. Very good instinct. Um, if you're just saying that because you're like, I'm in church, that's the answer, that's a safe bet. That's usually the answer. Great job. Jesus, yeah. In fact, some of you will know this. When Jesus comes to the earth and wants to describe who he is, the favorite nickname he will use for himself is the Son of Man. The Son of Man. He calls himself this more than any other title. The Son of Man this, the Son of Man that, the Son of Man this. It's like he's saying, do you want to know who I am? Daniel chapter 7. Do you want to know who I am? Check out what the Son of Man does in Daniel chapter 7, because that's what I'm here to do. Do you want to know what I'm like? Daniel chapter 7, Son of Man. So I would submit to you this. If you want to know what Jesus is like, you have to understand what the Son of Man does. The Son of Man comes into a situation where earth is broken, heaven is beautiful, and he leaves his heavenly home, he rides the clouds down to the earth, and he pulls heaven down. And he receives a kingdom from the Ancient of Days that all the humans, all people from every tribe, tongue, language, like it doesn't matter your background, this isn't just for Jewish people or churchy people, this is for anyone who would trust in the Son of Man, he's going to make a way for us to get into the heavenly joy we saw the angels enjoying earlier. Uh, that's what this vision is ultimately about. That the Son of Man is coming to reunite heaven and earth. And all the humans, one day when the Son of Man comes, they will be free of the beastly empires of this world to enjoy the presence and life and goodness of God forever. It'll be like the Garden of Eden restored. That's Daniel chapter 7, folks. That right there is the hope. And so um, you look at that and you go, like, wow, I mean, that's basically the gospel. That Jesus came into a broken world to restore it, to reunite heaven and earth, to take beastly people like you and me and restore us to a relationship with God so we could become worshipers who look like heavenly beings instead of beastly things on the earth. That's the gospel. That's what Jesus came to do. And Daniel gets to see a glimpse of this hundreds of years before the coming of Jesus. Now, does that leave him with great encouragement and hope? What do you think? Some of you are like, this is a trick question. It doesn't leave him with great encouragement and hope. Not at first, anyway. Look, we're not done with the chapter. So he gets this beautiful vision, and then we read this in verse 15. As for me, Daniel, my spirit within me was anxious... And the visions of my head alarmed me. I approached one who stood there and I asked him the truth concerning all of this. Um, I find this really interesting. 
Daniel's been given the spiritual gift of interpreting the dreams of others, but when God gives him his own dreams, um, he needs the help of another. And so he goes to one of the angels worshiping God, and he's like, hey, I don't get it. I don't get it. And so here's what the angel says, verse 16. So, so he told me and he made known to me the interpretation of these things. These four great beasts are four kings who shall arise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever, and ever. Now, I'm going to put my Bible down and just speculate for a moment. I think that right there is where the vision and the chapter was meant to end. Um, and because if you look ahead to verse 27, that's where it will end up in the end. That the earth is beastly, heaven is great, the Son of Man's coming to reunite heaven and earth. Trust in the Son of Man and you get the hope of heaven. That's where it's meant to end. That yeah, these kings and kingdoms will come and go, but the Son of Man is stronger and anyone who trusts in him will reign and rule forever in his kingdom. I think that's where the vision's meant to end. And, and Daniel sees all of this. He gets a glimpse of the glory of heaven. He gets a glimpse of, this blew my mind to think about him. Like, he got to see Jesus before he came to earth and took a body. This guy saw so much. And at the end of this vision, he's like, yeah, 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 that's really great. Heaven coming to earth and all. Can you tell me about the fourth beast? I got to imagine this angel's like, buddy, buddy, that's not the point. The point's the son of man. But Daniel's like, no, 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 no. you got to tell me about the fourth beast. Look at verse 19. Then I desired to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was exceedingly different, which was different from all the rest, exceedingly terrifying with its teeth of iron claws and bronze. And, and he goes on to repeat the whole song and dance about the fourth beast. He's so focused on the fourth beast. He's like the guys that have all their charts and they're like, forget about Jesus. Let's just figure out the fourth beast. And I, I don't know, maybe if you've ever felt there. Um, ha, like, I don't know, have you ever felt like you come to church and you're like, yeah, Jesus, 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 that's really great. I love Jesus, but I don't understand why he'd allow this in my life. Jesus, 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 I don't feel like worshiping right now. We've got to talk about this beast in my life. I don't get this over here. Daniel's not rebuked by the angel. The angel's going to say, okay, Daniel's having a hard time. God sends this angel to meet Daniel in that place. And so if you walk in here and you're having a hard time worshiping this morning, you're like, I've got, I've got this beast in my life. we got to talk about this. I don't understand what God's doing here. I just want you to notice that God meets Daniel where he's at in that. He sends this angel to give him a response. And, and if you've ever felt that way, just listen to what the angel says to Daniel. Verse 23. Thus he said, as for the fourth beast, there shall be a fourth kingdom on the earth, which shall be different from all the other kingdoms. And it shall devour the whole earth and trample it down and break it to pieces. As for the ten horns, out of this kingdom ten kings shall arise, and another shall arise after them. He shall be different from the former ones and shall put down three kings. He shall speak words against the Most High, and he shall wear out the saints of the Most High. And he shall think to change the times in the law. And they shall be given into his hand for a times, times, and half a time. But the court shall sit in judgment, and his dominion shall be taken away to be consumed and destroyed by uh, in the end. 
and the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heavens shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom. This is where I said it would end. And all dominions shall obey and serve him. Here is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly alarmed me and my color changed, but I kept the matter in my heart. Um, I've got to tell you, I, I love how honest the Bible is. So often we just want to put a bow on it and say, Jesus, have a great week. But just track with what's happened. God has given Daniel a vision of Jesus. He has sent him an angel to interpret said vision. And at the end of that vision, the angel's even engaging in questions Daniel has to try to help him understand what God's doing. At the end of that, Daniel's like, I still don't get it. Let me just say this. Some of you are in the same boat right now. If you're feeling like, I don't get a thing you've said today. Um, I, don't, I don't get all of this. What, what I would just say to you is, you're not the first one. Um, and you didn't even get an angel today. You just got me. So, so cut yourself some slack. The apocalyptic sections of scripture, they stretch the mind a little bit. What I would encourage you to do if you feel like Daniel, where you're like, this, this chapter is very alarming. I don't get it. I would encourage you to, like Daniel, keep this thing in your heart. Don't just walk out of here and brush it off and go, that was weird. Hope they're talking about something different next Sunday. Because we won't be. But seriously, like, continue to reflect on these things. Uh, we've built out a channel. You'll see it on the back of your bulletin. Go to fairoaks.org slash ask. Send in your questions. This is going to shock you. This sermon could have been longer today. There's so many things I could. If you have questions, send them in. Let's continue the dialogue. But more important than that, talk to God about your questions. Say, I, I don't get this. Like, what's going on here? Talk to friends that love Jesus and love you and your gospel community and process where you really don't understand stuff. Because here's what I promise you. If you can get honest about the stuff you don't understand or don't like or don't get, that is where God will meet you in that place. And so if you walk out of here today going, I'm greatly alarmed. I don't see today as a failure. You might. But if you're in a conversation with Jesus, I would say you're in a good place to be. So cut yourself some slack. Maybe cut me some slack. I don't know. <laughs> Get honest with him about those things. Um, with that said, I do just want to quickly um, summarize the angel's response to Daniel. Um, just believing that, um, man, we have something better. We have the Holy Spirit here with us this morning, and he could just illuminate some of this stuff and just crack it open for us. So let me just quickly cover three things the angel just said to Daniel that might help us in that place. So Daniel's like, hey, Jesus, kingdom of God, that's really great, but what about all the pain that I'm seeing in this life? Well, he tells him three things. Number one, evil beasts will try to wear God's people down. He says, this is the intention of the beast. They will try to wear you down. This is the reality of a Genesis 3 broken world. Things are going to wear you down, man. Do not be surprised. Um, Peter, a disciple of Jesus, will say it this way in the New Testament. Hey, don't be surprised when fiery trials come upon you as if something strange is happening. That's what life in a broken world is like. And so he says, number one, what you're seeing, Daniel, it is normal for the state of this broken world. Beast, are, you feel worn out, Daniel? It's because you're paying attention. 
But this is so important. He does not end there. Number two, he says none of this is outside of God's control. He says God allows that beast to have dominion for a season. Why? Um, That would be a very long sermon that we could do in and of itself. Um, I would just say this by way of comment here. Um, What we see over and over again in the Bible is that God uses hard times for great purposes in his people's lives. Um, The way the book of Romans says it is that suffering, like Daniel experienced, produces endurance, which produces character, which produces hope, and our hope doesn't put us to shame because Jesus is alive. The kingdom is coming, and this is what God does. In the midst of all of the darkness, he works through that to bring us hope. And so I want to ask you to do some vulnerable right now. I just want to ask you this question. How many of you, if you're honest, you just feel worn out right now? Yep. Um, What I would say... Like, like, maybe you're saying, I love Jesus. I just wish he would come back already. Um, as I was thinking about this, I, I just, I felt God wants to encourage those of us that are in that place. So let me just say this. Like, whatever it is that's wearing you out right now, whether it's an evil government that wants to try to destroy your faith, or whether it's something a little closer to home, like a broken marriage, like a wayward child, like a cancer diagnosis, like chronic pain, whatever that chaos in your life is, what we see in scripture is none of that is outside of the control of God. That nothing can come your way without first passing through the hand of God. That doesn't mean that God um, did those things to you, that God approves of those things. What we see in scripture is God is an expert at taking evil, broken, terrible things that have been done to us and taking what looks like death and turning it into life. This is what he's doing here. He allows it for a season because what our God loves to do is he loves to take what the enemy means for evil and use it for our good. And so the son of man looks at the little horn and he's like, rage on little horn. The more you rail against me, the more people I'm going to save and change lives and free from all that madness. So you just keep popping off over there. God's going to allow it for a time, time, and half time. And that leads to the third thing. He won't allow it forever. Our suffering is limited, the angel tells Daniel. In verse 25 specifically, he says our suffering will last for a time, times, and half time. Um, Now, these are some of the most debated words in the entire book of Daniel. Um, And people will have all these charts about who the horn is and when this time, times, and half time will be. And what people, I've had people tell me, if you take the Bible literally, you have to read this as a three and a half year period of tribulation that will happen right before the rapture or right after the rapture, depending on who's saying it, at the end of history and Um, What I would say to that is it could be, it could be referring to that, but the problem is that idea misses the point of the chapter, and I would also just point out it never says years, ever. It says a times, times, and half a time. And so I think a truly literate reading of this text would see this in contrast to verse 18. You've got a time, time, and half time, and then you have forever, 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 and ever. 
Now, you don't have to have read all of the nerdy debates with all the footnotes to answer the question I'm about to ask you. Which one of those time periods is longer? Time, times, and half a time, or forever, ever, and ever? I would submit that is the point. That the beast will rule for a time, but Jesus is going to rule forever. And Jesus will use what the beast means for evil in that limited time, but he's not even going to put up with that evil forever. He's coming back and he's going to deal with it. That's the point, I think, of the angel's explanation to him. That the kingdom of the fourth beast, like all the beasts, it is limited, but God's kingdom is eternal. In other words, evil has an expiration date. And that's the hope that God's people were meant to cling to while living in exile. That the kingdoms of men will come and go, and as they do, there will be one that is particularly powerful and evil. And God in his sovereign purposes will let these kingdoms rule for a little while. But eventually, he will put an end to it and bring his kingdom down and reunite heaven and earth and do away with evil forever. That's what Daniel kept reflecting on. And I think that's what kept Daniel faithful to the end in Babylon and Medo-Persia all the way to the end. And we have even more than Daniel did. That's the thing that was blowing my mind this week is, okay, so that's what Daniel takes away from this. 500 years later, Jesus Christ steps on the scene, and he starts calling himself the Son of Man. In other words, he believes that he is the fulfillment of all of this. And he, he, he showed up saying, hey, good news, the appointed time has come. The kingdom of God is among you. And people would say, where's the kingdom of God, Jesus? I see the Romans right there. And he's like... Didn't you see that person I just forgave? Didn't you just see how that just lifted them from their pit of despair and how they're now an agent of love and justice when they were out cheating people and hurting people before that? Didn't you just see that? He'd say, didn't you see the way that I reached down to that person in darkness and gave him a new life and said, I forgive you, now go and sin no more. Like, this is the kingdom of God at move in the world. Darkness is being pushed back. Light is coming through the life of Jesus. And it's not just Jesus' opponents that don't get it. Jesus' own disciples don't get it. In Mark chapter 10, I believe it is verse 45, he says, The Son of Man has come not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Now, if you were looking at Daniel 7, we just read that the Son of Man will be served and praised forever. So maybe you could forgive the disciples for going like, Jesus... We like that you're the son of man. We like that you're here. We disagree with how you're going about this. You're not supposed to serve us. You're supposed to be served. So go down to Rome, tell Caesar, get off my throne, kill the beast, get him out of here, and bring the kingdom come, baby. That's what they wanted from him. But rather than doing that, Jesus, he allows the beast to nail him to a cross. And on the cross, Jesus Christ is worn out to the point of death. Um, rather than wiping out his enemies like everyone expected at his first coming, the Son of Man comes not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. To redeem the people of the beastly kingdoms of this world. Because according to Jesus, the truth is we're all beastly. 
you know, we might be a little more cleaned up than our neighbor around us, but Jesus says, I see your heart and it is broken and it is a dark and scary place. And we want to recoil from that. We want to say, no, I'm not beastly, but you have to understand he can say that while saying, I love you. Because he didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. He says, you're beastly, bad news, good news. I will deal with the beast for you. And on the cross, he dies to redeem those of us who are living in the beastly kingdoms of this world, who have become beasts ourselves and brought chaos into God's good world. But the good news is he didn't stay dead. Three days later, Jesus walks out of the grave and he says, whoever trusts in me, you can be forgiven and loved and go from being a beast to a saint of the most high God. You can go from being an enemy of a kingdom of love and justice to being a citizen of a kingdom of love and justice where you get to inherit life in this new world I'm building where one day all tears will be wiped away and all suffering and death will be no more. And 2,000 years later, after he proclaimed all of that about himself, the Roman Empire, the beast of his day, is dead and gone, and you have to go to a museum to see them. But the church of Jesus Christ is still growing and still impacting the world and still alive and well today because Jesus is alive and ruling and reigning from heaven. And as the risen Son of Man rules and reigns from heaven, he is leading all of history towards the day where he will return on the clouds of heaven, this time in glory, to receive worship and honor and praise for all eternity and bring us into the song of heaven. And look, I know we've been waiting a long time. Um, but let me just end by encouraging you with this, because this, this blew my mind this week. The phrase times, time, and half a time kept just ringing in my head all week long. And um, y you know how the scripture says that a, a day to the Lord is like a thousand years, right? Um, we know how this was fulfilled in Jesus' first coming. Um, that Jesus was in the tomb for two days. And then on the third day, that half time that gets cut short, he bursts out. He says, I'm out of here. And new life goes pouring out into the world. See, for two days, it looked like darkness had won. And at the dawn of the third day, on that half time, that is where he accomplished his greatest work in the world. And so I, I was thinking about this week, I'm just like, here we are at this privileged position in history where we can look back over Daniel chapter 7 and say, Medo-Persia, yep, checks out just like God said. Greece, oh my goodness, did he nail Alexander the Great? Yeah. The Son of Man, did he come? Yep. Jesus did all the stuff it talks about him doing. Was the super beast defeated? I mean, Satan's a pretty beastly animal. Sin is pretty scary, and all that was defeated on the cross. The only thing we are waiting on is for the Son of Man to come on the clouds of glory and say to the rest of the beast, no more. It's over. Love and justice forever. You're done here. And so, like, I know it looks dark. God told us in advance it would be. But maybe we could be encouraged because not only is he at work in the mess, but it's been a thousand years since his resurrection. It's been another thousand years since his resurrection. And we stand at the dawn of the third time period, the third times. And our God does some pretty great things on that third day. Amen. Let me pray for us. 
Jesus, thank you for this glimpse you've given us into heaven and all you are and have done for us and all you have coming for us. Lord, we confess it's hard to wrap our minds around this chapter. We are finite, we are not ancient of days, but you are Jesus. And so I ask that you would help us as we seek to respond to your word to just wrap our minds around you a little more this morning. Would you help us to see you more clearly as we come to the table and respond to all that you've done and are for us? Would you send your Holy Spirit to help us believe these truths and stretch our hearts and minds to understand a little bit more of the depth and the breadth and the width and the height of your great love for us. Thank you for loving us so much. To be unlike all the kings we know, they want to be served, but thank you for loving us enough to come to serve us and to save us so that we can enter the song of all creation. We love you and we need you to move in this time. Son of man, help us. Continue to stretch us and grow us and reveal more of yourself to us until the day you come down on the clouds. We pray that you would bring that day soon. We eagerly await it until then. Move in us and help us see better now. In your beautiful name we ask. Amen.